We're not looking to shut down podcasting. We're looking for you know, basically a, re- you know, a reasonable sum of money to compensate the inventor for his work. When you file a patent, someone should be able to take that patent and create the invention just using the teachings of the patent. You're supposed to teach someone how to make it. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams to you coming from a overcast and somewhat chilly Southern California. I read a legal blog called May It Please the Court. Bob? And this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from uh, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Bob, before we introduce today's topics, we'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsor, Clio. It's an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Well, we have a, I think it's going to be a fascinating show today, Craig. We're going to be talking about a controversial topic, which is the question of whether a company owns the patent on podcasting. Uh, the company Personal Audio and its founder, Jim Logan, owns a patent which they say covers the idea of podcasting, or at least the technology of podcasting. In some cases, Personal Audio has filed lawsuits against some popular podcast programs, as well as uh, across against some, some major companies and, and, and networks. They were featured just this week on an NPR uh, program talking about their uh, legal action against comedian Mark Maron, who does a podcast called WTF. In 2011, uh, a jury awarded Personal Audio $8 million in damages uh, in its lawsuit against Apple regarding podcast technology. So last week, the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation launched what they claim is a, is a, what they say is a campaign to uh, invalidate this patent. So we're going to hear both sides of this story today. And we've invited two representatives of Personal Audio on the show today, Brad Little, who's president of licensing and general counsel, along with Richard Baker. He's the vice president of licensing. Brad is an experienced patent litigation attorney, and he's a certified U.S. patent attorney by the United States Patent and Trademark Office and a certified attorney by the State Bar of Texas. Richard has more than 12 years experience as an IP licensing executive. He's a certified licensing professional, as well as his position with Personal Audio, he serves as the trustee of the Licensing Executive Society, which includes both the U.S. and Canada. And in the second half of the program, we'll be joined by Daniel Nazer of EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He's the lead attorney working on EFF's campaign to challenge Personal Audio's patent on podcasting. And because of the relationship between EFF and Personal Audio, our guests have requested to be recorded separately. So today we're going to start first with Richard Baker and Brad Little of Personal Audio, and after the break, we'll hear again from Daniel Nazer. Well, Rich, I was going to—I wanted to start with you and, and ask. Uh, last week, the uh, EFF announced this campaign to challenge Personal Audio's patent in the USPTO. Uh, they have characterized Personal Audio as as a patent troll. NPR piece this week 
interviewed Mark Marin, a comedian with a podcast who uh, wasn't uh, wasn't kind in his words for personal audio either. He used the term extortion racket with regard to what you're doing. Jim, give us give us your response to this. I mean, uh, Rich, give us your your response to this. What is what is what is personal audio doing here? Well, first of all, every defendant in the patent litigation calls the plaintiff a troll. That's kind of run in every case I've seen in my in my years working in the uh, in the intellectual property industry. Nobody likes to uh, to be a defendant, and you know part of the uh, the way they deal with it is is with with name calling. If you look at personal audio, this is your quintessential story of an American inventor, Jim Logan, who's the, the, the first named inventor on on this uh, patent. Started a uh, touchscreen company probably back in the 70s or 80s. Very successful with that. Sold the company off to uh, to 3M. Then he worked on a couple of other projects. One of the projects was uh, dealing with an idea he had over MP3 players and podcasting. It was this was before you had these products. So you know he he's stepping into this whole new arena and you know trying to describe it, figure out okay what what do customers want? What would people pay for? And that's where he came up with the ideas that are described in in this patent. From that, a, a couple of patents have have issued. One of them. One sets on uh, playlist technology, and out of the same patent family comes the podcasting. So I just want to correct a little bit that the case against Apple was on the playlist and not the exact same patent that we're asserting against the podcasters. But for a patent, the whole idea of a patent troll, this isn't who you would call a patent troll. This is an inventor who starts a company, puts his own money into it in personal audio. He did put the money in. They developed a prototype. And they ran out of money. They tried a couple of things, including uh, uh, magazines on tape at the end to try to uh, try to get some revenue coming in, and the company went under. This is someone who had an inventor, uh, an invention, and tried to make a go of it as a as an operating company. Who is now asking those that uh, learned from his mistakes to pay? That's all. Yeah. Hey, uh, Richard. Let me let me jump in there as well. Um, and so I think what Richard is saying is uh, absolutely correct. And I feel like when when people start talking about patent trolls, they kind of lump in all of these different entities together, like universities and small businesses, big businesses, solo inventors. And, and I, I think that's I don't think that's merited. I think that I think that instead of focusing on uh, who or who is not a patent troll or a non-practicing entity, people should start looking at the merits of the case and, and also locating ways to reduce patent litigation expenses uh, by possibly using institutional mechanisms to address patent validity and patent infringement and look at ways, you know, other, other administrative ways to reduce costs and, and look at these patents on the merits. What is it in particular that, that the patent covers or what, it, what does it claim that ties it so closely to podcasting? We don't want to get into actually Thing that does or doesn't cover anything. That's for the, uh, the courts to decide. Well, let's ask a different question then. How is it that you're assessing the, uh, the prices that you're charging or seeking from the podcasters? And are you going after podcasters individually or are you going after the companies that make the podcasting materials that are used by the podcasters? For you know, economic reasons, we want to, uh, 
we've tried to deal with some of the largest podcasting organizations out there. We're not going after the, the individual, the individual listener, the user. We've not done anything with whatsoever. As far as podcasters, the people we talk to are those that are, are the largest podcasting entities in the country. Are you making a claim that you're... Uh, that a person that listens to a podcast violates your patent? The whole or, definition, or could you? That, that's the U.S. patent law states that anyone that makes, uses, sells, offers to sell, or imports a patented technology could be, could be an infringer. That's, that's the U.S. patent law. Well, how, what, I mean, so far as I understand it, uh, I mean, from reading news reports about this, that you have, uh, you filed some lawsuits against some very large organizations, including NBC and CBS. But then uh, there have also been uh, at least, I don't know, if threats of lawsuits, if not actual lawsuits against uh, individual podcasters as well. So what are you seeking from these companies? Is it, is it a licensing fee at this point? And, and, and how are you looking to license? Uh, what are you looking for in terms of licensing fees? We're looking. You were definitely looking to license. We gain nothing, you know, if if, if they're not in business. Just like the, uh, you know, for most podcasters, uh, they've got a jingle that runs at the beginning. They're paying an artist to perform that. They're paying the writer who wrote the uh, jingle, the inventor who invented and presented the roadmap for how to use the technology should be similarly compensated. Do you have a formula? In other words, if if a podcaster says, "Hey, look, I'd like to license my podcast with you," and they call you up, what do you tell them? Uh, what are the, What are you going to charge them? Yeah, we 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 do have a uh, we do have a uh, a rate that we use. We're not we're not uh, at liberty to disclose that on the air, uh, based on the fact that we're involved in litigation, as you said, against other companies. But yes, we do have a have a model that we use to look at a, a licensing fee, and I think if people actually engaged us, they would they would see that the the rate is actually very reasonable and something that w- would not actually put them out of business or shut them down, but but something that um, we could we could do a business relationship with. And and what do you how do you deal with podcasters who just do it as a hobby uh, as opposed to try and make money off it? But do you do you license it to them or as well, or do they get a freebie? Nobody gets a, a, a freebie that that would have all sorts of of problems if if we did that, the um, but you know as a matter of economics, we're working with the with the biggest podcasters because you know there's a transaction cost to uh, doing a license. So we're you know we're dealing with those that those that are the largest where you know where we cover the transaction costs. Brad, let me ask you: Can you help me understand how how you define a podcast here? I mean, it, it, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion in general about what is or is not a podcast. Is something that's primary, simply an audio recording doesn't doesn't make it a podcast? What what turns an audio recording or or a media recording of some kind into a podcast in terms of your definition of it? Okay, so um, just just looking, you know, looking at the claims of the patent, and, and as Richard said, we don't want to discuss. The merits, or the you know, to a to a claim interpretation on the air, but uh, you know, the, the title of the patent is "System for Disseminating Media Content Representing Episodes in a Serialized Sequence." And so, the way that podcasts are set up, and the way that the claims are read, if there's a, a serialized type of um, media distribution, that's that's what we're interpreting. 
Uh, and so you can look at the claims of the patent and see exactly what, what the technology describes. Is, is that similar to RSS? Is that the kind of technology you're talking about? Or? I, I'm not quite familiar with that. I'm sorry. An RSS feed is a means to distribute uh, a podcast. You can sign up for a, a feed and then get the podcast that way. Right, right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, RSS, correct. Yeah, and so that's, you know, that's, um, you know, that's, that's one means, exactly. So, I mean, w- so when the EFF, I mean, the EFF has characterized this as though you, you guys are out to uh, <laughs> kill podcasting effectively, I, I, you know, or at least, uh, I mean, they've, they've used terms like shakedown, shutdown, uh, podcasting. Uh, what, what's your response to that? The inventor is entitled to be compensated for his work. We're not looking to shut down podcasting. We're looking for you know, basically a re- you know, reasonable sum of money to compensate the inventor for his work. And in this case, it, it's not just the, uh, the mental work of doing an invention, but you know, he did a startup. You know, he created a company, created jobs, and should, should be compensated for, uh, for all, the, all, all of the work, all of his investment. And Brad, one last question for you. We're coming close to the end of the, the, uh, your segment of the program here. Given what you laid out as the, the generalities of the claims that the patent makes, it sounds to me as if it would also include television episodes. Is that your position as well? Yes. Um, we, and, and yeah, that is, that is a, uh, a read that we've done on the patent. And we've actually amended the complaint against CBS and NBC to include online distribution of television episodes. So yes, you're correct in assuming that. So Hulu would be a target as well. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going tar- to comment on potential targets or, or anything like that. We have we have just a few seconds left here in this segment. I wonder, uh, uh, Rich or, or Brad, uh, if you want to have any kind of final thoughts uh, on this topic before we let you go. Uh, just that uh, you know, Jim Logan and Personal Audio. This is the story of a quintessential American inventor. This is what the patent system was set up to to reward the people that make breakthrough inventions. And uh, and reward them so that they'll continue creating inventions and telling the public about them. Great. And if our listeners would like to learn more about personal audio, where can they go on the internet to find out about your company? www.personalaudio.net. Great. Well, Richard and Brad, thank you very much for being on our program today. This is going to wrap up the first end of the segment. We'll be back right after the break for more from the EFF. Let me just add my thanks to both of you for being on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Bob and Craig. Well, thank you for having us. Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than, in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. 
Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams with my co-host, Robert Ambrosi. And in the first segment of the show, uh, we heard from Richard Baker and Brad Little uh, from Personal Audio about the patent they own that uh, they say covers podcasting. In this second half of the show, we're going to speak with Daniel Nazer of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which last week launched what it's calling a full court press to bust the patent in this case. Uh, we're going to, Daniel Nazer is a staff attorney on EFF's intellectual property team with a focus on patent reform. Prior to joining uh, EFF, he was a residential fellow at Stanford Law School's Center for Internet and Society, and he practiced at uh, Kieker and Van Nest LLP, where he represented technology clients in patent and antitrust litigation. Daniel, thank you for joining us on the show today. And we have to admit here, we set you up. We did ask a question of uh, Richard Baker and Brad Little from Personal Audio. They, we asked, we said, what question would you ask EFF? Mm-hmm. And they said, ask them why it is that they're going after Personal Audio when we're going after the NBCs of the world, the Discovery Channels, the great big ones, because usually EFF is designed to, to help the little guy out. Right. Well, they are sending letters to a lot of people. They're not sending, they're not just going after the NBCs and the CBSs of the world. So we took it upon ourselves to try and bust this patent to defend podcasting generally. And uh, while we're doing this on our own, we're hoping that it'll help the small podcaster who's working in their basement or their attic. I'm sure CBS and NBC can look after themselves. And what, what do you think your strongest defense is against uh, personal audio's patent? So we uh, will be filing an, what's called an intraparties review. So we're going to be at the patent office and we'll be arguing that there's prior art, that this, this is not a new idea. That, uh, and if you th- I think if you look into the history of podcasting, and you know, I'd encourage your uh, listeners just to do a little research, you won't see anything about personal audio. You'll see that episodic internet radio was pioneered by other people and before the, the patent's uh, priority date. Well, we've been doing this podcast for eight years, so I think we've been, we've been somewhere, we fit somewhere in the history there of, of this. But Dan, you've, uh, EFF has, has characterized uh, personal audio as a patent troll. Why, why are you defining them as a patent troll? When it, I mean, they do, they do have a patent here. The, the inventor... Uh, did uh, invent this technology that he's claiming uh, the patent on. Why, why do you characterize them that way? So, so I would say a couple of things. First, you know, ultimately, it's really not that important if you call someone a patent troll or not. It's, you know, it's just a pejorative term, and there's a, there's a wide spectrum of activity. And they're, uh, the, the most sort of typical patent troll is a company that just buys patents to sue, and they're not that kind of patent troll. But uh, they are a company that doesn't make anything. They are a post office box in the Eastern District of Texas. They have no ties to Texas. They have no employees there. And I think that really is uh, still a pretty classic patent troll. You're talking about a company that doesn't do anything but try and sue and threaten people on the basis of patents. They, uh, many years ago, failed to create a um, personal audio device and then were sending cassettes in the mail. But 
I'm not sure why uh, they think that you know they deserve a payout for being a failed business. That's not um, that's not really a productive uh, way to participate in the economy. And uh, ultimately, that's why you know we see this as something that's that's not helpful and is, is ultimately taxing the people who are creating and are are making podcasts. Well, let's let's flip this on you. Um, if you were on personal audios. Uh, side of the case, what do you think their strongest argument is in favor of their patent? Well, ultimately, any patent plaintiff, they're um, going to say the U.S. Patent Office issued this patent, and uh, and so so it should be uh, should be assumed to be valid. And the reality is, is the Patent Office is very busy, and they spend just a few hours on each application, and they don't find uh, all the all the prior art. They don't have the time. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the strongest thing they can do is wave around an issued U.S. patent, and that's, that's what they're doing. Well, this patent was issued in, the, in 1996, which was... No, 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 you are, you are incorrect. You are incorrect. This well, patent was they filed. They, they, they are telling you a, a misleading statement that this patent was issued in 2012, and it was filed in 2009. It has a priority date of 1996. It is related to an application that was filed in 1996. But it didn't even occur to them that they had invented podcasting until 2009. And they went back and filed what's called a divisional. These are the continuation applications and divisional applications are ways to sort of keep a patent application alive for many years. So the actual claims that they're asserting now, they didn't write those until 2009. What claims were they asserting in back in 1996 that relate to podcasting? Uh, so they they've have this is a patent family, and um, I'm not uh, the the patent they asserted against Apple was about playlists, um, but that also wasn't the original one. That was a that was also a continuation. But uh, I'm actually not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head what the claims were in the very original application, but they certainly weren't the ones they're, they're asserting. They, they describe the it as a novel mechanism for automatically identifying and retrieving media files representing episodes in a series as those episodes become available. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the original typical. patent, I believe. That was very, uh, very typical patentees there. Does it? Surprise you that personal audio is also taking the position that their patent covers television episodes that are sent around on the internet. Television? Television. No, it doesn't. And it's that's a very typical feature of the patent troll activity is uh, they they write very broad claims and then they argue that these claims cover things that just weren't anticipated when they filed the patent. And uh, but uh, you know the claims talk about media files, so so that that actually doesn't surprise me at all. Daniel, just to just to play devil's advocate here a little bit, I mean, they, you make a point that that they are, they're perhaps a, a company that has no products, only a patent. But of course, patent law allows that, and, and in fact encourages that. I mean, isn't that the idea of patent law <laughs> is to protect uh, an inventor and, and allow an inventor to capitalize on their invention? I think um, you, you're right. You don't have to uh, have to create a product. That's why you know patent trolls exist. I would say the, the, there's a very big difference between people who are engaged in technology transfer and people who just sit around and wait for others to do the work and then jump out and tax them. So if you look at a university or a lot of biotechnology companies that, don't, that just focus on research, what they do is they develop a technology, they file for a patent, 
And then they pretty much immediately they try and find partners to license and bring that technology to market. So they're trying to create something new and bring it to the consumer. What a patent troll does is they get a patent and then they sit on it, usually for over 10 years, and they wait for other people to do the work. And, uh, you know, in this case, the claims they're asserting weren't even there yet. They didn't file these claims till 2009. So everyone else developed podcasting, you know, Apple, all the, you know, all the individual podcasters, they do the work, and then these folks jump out from under the bridge and say, we want our cut. And uh, that's something very, very typical of patent trolls, that they assert the patents quite late in the, in the life of the patent, rather than trying to get licenses and uh, technology partners in the early time part of the patent when they're actually really participating in creating things. Well, it, it is a situation where usually patent people that come up with inventions come up with it before the market is ready for it, and the market then catches up. And uh, it, it is one of the reasons that, that patents have a long life. And I would, I would say in a lot of cases... Um, that what's happening is people are getting patents they shouldn't be getting. They're getting patents. Part of the patent system, there's the requirement of enablement, which means when you file a patent, someone should be able to take that patent and create the invention just using the teachings of the patent. You're supposed to teach someone how to make it. And, And I think, unfortunately, because the patent office is so overworked, a lot of people file quite speculative patents. So um, just to use personal audio as an example, they're claiming that, you know, sending TV over the internet is covered by their patent. But if I had taken that, the 1996 application and tried to create a system that distributed serialized TV over the internet, there's no way I would have been able to do that. And so that, that they shouldn't be entitled to, to patent to inventions that they didn't enable, that they didn't, they didn't bring it to the world. Other people had to do the work. Do you have any idea what the licensing requirements or licensing fees are that personal audio is charging? No, um, they've been keeping that secret, and that's that's pretty standard for um, uh, the patent assertion entity. If if, if we want to use a less pejorative term than patent troll, uh, patent assertion entities tend to uh, tend to operate uh, you know shell companies. They tend to keep all their settlements secret. And a lot of the pressure that they apply is based on the fact that it's so expensive to defend litigation. It costs you know, around $2 million to defend a patent suit. So if you're a podcaster working out of your attic, uh, you, you're basically faced with a very difficult choice. Um, you, you just don't have the resources to defend, and that puts a lot of pressure on people to settle. What is your what is EFF's goal in this litigation? I mean, are you really going to be trying to? It's not litigation. They're bringing inter partes uh, proceeding. Yeah, uh, our goal is to uh, if if we're successful, the patent gets invalidated, and then uh, they can't assert it against anyone. You're using this new inter partes pr- uh, proceeding, which was uh, kind of a creation of the of the patent the America Invents Act uh, last year, uh, and this is a, a new proceeding, and it, it, to some extent, it, it's kind of a kind of uses crowdsourcing in a sense, right? I mean, can you kind exactly of explain right. how this works? Yeah, so we're, um, because this is a patent that, that, that claims a priority date of October 2nd, 1996, where uh, a lot of the information about the early web is really distributed. It's in, it's in different people's drawers and minds. And, and we, um, so we, we put out a call for prior art uh, on our blog, and we have a call for prior art up at askpatents.com. 
and we've got a lot of responses there. Some really, some really promising leads that we hadn't, um, that we weren't familiar with before, and uh, and we're really hoping this is going to be a success story for crowdsourcing um, prior art. Are, are there others out there who claim a patent on, on podcasting or on any of the technology used in pod- podcasting? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's um, that's very uh, typical. Is that there's there's a lot of patent thickets where. Uh, lots of different people claim the patents on the same technology. If I if I had a dollar for every patent on Wi-Fi, I would uh, I would have quite a lot of money. The um, the and unfortunately, you know, the technology now is very interlocked. There's lots of lots of you know a, 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 a smartphone has lots and lots of different things. It has wireless. It has chips. It has screens. And uh, it's very difficult to do anything without uh, potentially infringing a lot of patents. It's been estimated that a single smartphone could infringe 100,000 patents. Uh, yeah, and that, that's definitely, um, I'm familiar with at least one other patent that's, um, that's right on podcasting. Well, it looks like we've just about reached the end of our program, Daniel. So we'd like to turn the mic over to you to give your final thoughts and your contact information if our listeners would like to reach out to you. Right. So my contact information is daniel at EFF.org. And we have a website, which is EFF.org, where we keep, uh, we blog about patents and patent reform. And I would uh, be really glad if any of your listeners are familiar with any prior art, if they could, they could contact us directly or go to askpatents.com. And also stay in touch about patent reform. We, there are currently five pending bills in Congress to deal with the patent troll problem. The president has spoken up about it. And so I'd uh, encourage people to stay informed and, um, and be engaged in the issue. Great. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for your time. Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us. Craig, I think we have a couple, uh, couple of seconds here left. Uh, quick, uh, quick thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think about uh, this dispute? You know, it's a tough issue. Um, I, I both, I, I've defended patent cases before and I've brought patent cases. And uh, it's certainly... Personal audio has got a point. They've got the inventor. He's come up with this, and they want to read on it. They want the claims to to read on what what we're doing, as well as a number of other podcasters. Um, so it's it's a difficult thing because we're right in the thick of it. We are in the thick of it, and I'm I'm really uh, I'm kind of with you. I I see this as a pretty tough issue. I I I, I uh, sympathize with the uh, personal audio position that they have an invention uh, and that they. Uh, Want to uh, enforce that invention, uh, but the 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 actuality of whether that invention uh, technically applies to podcasting, I think, is for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to uh, evaluate. I, they've evaluated that uh, once and, and issued a patent here, but whether the patent applies to podcasting, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with the EFF, with the EFF's campaign, and and what their campaign to uh, uncover prior art turns up and uh, how this plays out in the uh, in the inter partes review. So uh, I, I don't have the answer, but I'm certainly going to follow it closely and see how it all plays out. Certainly. Well, thanks, Bob. And that brings us to the end of our show. This is Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer. We'll be back next week for another great legal topic. Think Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. 
Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.